Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. Okay, before I start my formal talk, I just want to see a show of hands. How many of you know the whole good cop, bad cop thing? Most of you know that. For those few of you who don't, it's a movie device and probably an interrogation technique where if a criminal's been brought in and is being examined, you have one cop who comes in and he's really mean and aggressive and lays it on the line and the guy's going to jail or whatever. And then you got the good cop who comes in with coffee and a donut and tries to soften the whole scene, okay? So just remember that picture, good cop, bad cop, as I'm talking. So Matt asked me, to, and Matt, where are you? He's gone? Ah, okay. Matt asked me to talk about James 4, verses 7 through 12, and then he left. Um, so let's start with the passage, okay? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The last time I spoke here, it was also about a passage from James from the first chapter. I shared then that it is really hard for me to read James, and it still is. So I'm going to repeat what I said back then just to explain. Reading James sets me on edge. It makes me feel very bad about myself. I flinch and I cringe when I read it. And I know that the fault is not in the book of James, it is in me. I think you have to be really brave to read James and I am not always up to it. But here we are again And that's because Matt is mean. And you can tell him when he gets back that I said so. And yet, you can also tell him I forgive him because having to think about this passage did help me see some things just a bit more clearly. Last fall when I spoke, I explained the heart of my reaction to James. And this is it. He keeps making me see myself and I would rather not. James is like this relentless mirror showing me who I really am when I ignore what God wants me to do. He even uses the mirror as an image in the first chapter of this book. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This mirror James is holding up really stops me 
It's a picture to me of our limitations, the poor reflection we see, the way we don't see who we really are when we stare at ourselves in a mirror, at least not at first. If you keep reading James, you find he continues to be relentless with that mirror. He doesn't just stop in the first chapter. But because this is God's word, and because God really does love us, we are not left staring at ourselves in a mirror, wondering who we really are, and whether we can ever figure this thing out, this trying to live here on earth and follow Jesus without contaminating everything we touch. James gives us a two-step program, so to speak, for moving forward. He does it in the first chapter. He repeats it in the fourth chapter. In the first chapter, right after the verse about walking away from the mirror and forgetting what we look like, he offers a way out. He gives us a way to see not just something of who we really are, but also who we can become. This is what he says. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. In today's passage, we see an echo of this two-step program. It opens with several verses that are a call to radical honesty about who we are with all the pain that entails. I would call that the bad cop. And it's a call to see ourselves clearly in the mirror. Ah, definitely the bad cop. But we also see another call to turn to God's perfect law. And even though it all sounds and is really difficult, it does lead to freedom. Good cop. So let's dive in. Chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let's start with the first part. When you submit to God, what are you doing? So many answers to that question. But for me now, I'm reading it as a radical acceptance of reality. I live and move and have my being in God. I am his child. I'm his daughter. That's the lovely part of accepting reality. Here's a tougher part. I fall short all the time. I know what I should do, and I don't do it. I know what I shouldn't do, and that's what I do. Who will rescue me from this? We all know. Jesus Christ, right? And he has, and he does. But still, it's really hard to look at this in myself to see my limitations, and not just that. But submitting to God in this way means seeing not just the mistakes I've made, the sins I've committed. I also need to see the enormity of God's creation and work and recognize that my own part in it also has limits. This doesn't sit well with our culture. Our culture wants me to be all I can be, and it seems to imply that the only thing stopping me is myself. And sometimes that's true. We do tend to self-limit ourselves. But often we find that many choices were made for us before we ever showed up on this planet. And how did that happen? Paul told the Athenians that the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and gives everyone life and breath and everything else. What's more, Paul says that God marked our, 
are their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He appointed our time, our domain. God put you and me and everyone else here in the middle of all the blessings and the terrible problems we have to face as humans. God did this, says Paul, so that we will seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. So, submitting to God means in part getting a handle on that, which takes a while, I think, maybe a lifetime. And it means being grateful for where he put you and how he made you, even when it's hard to be grateful for it. Submitting to God for me ultimately is trying to sit at his feet and see myself honestly. It's very humbling, but it's where I need to be. And I think this submission, this turning to God, I think that's how we resist the devil. We turn to God and what happens? The devil flees. James goes on, come near to God and he will come near to you. So comforting. Good old James, good cop James. But then we keep reading, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Oh, really? Wash our hands and purify our hearts? How? This question kept me up the other night. It was one of those 3 a.m. things that you read about, or maybe you don't. You guys are young. Maybe you sleep through the night. If I ask for a show of hands of the older people here, how many of you wake up at 3 or 4 and can't get back to sleep for a while? Everyone show me. Look around, people. This is your future. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Okay, so at 3 a.m., I was thinking, ah, wash our hands, purify our hearts. How do I do that? What does it mean to purify your heart? Can I even do it? Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does in me? And as I lay there struggling with this, at less than optimal capacity, because 3 a.m., I tried to keep going with the passage in my mind, and I couldn't. Now, this was distressing, because I've spent a lot of time in these verses in the last couple of weeks. When I got up in the morning and looked it up, I realized why I might have blanked it out. It was probably self-defense. Here it is. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Grieve, mourn, and wail. I am a play-oriented individual. I like to have fun. This just is oh, hard for me. Our brother James does not soften anything, does he? I admire it in him, but it's hard to take. Still, he makes sense. He has us drawing near to God, submitting to the enormity of what that means. And when we do that, what happens? <sighs> it's the relentless mirror again. This is what I really look like. Oh, no. If we see ourselves clearly in the mirror, we have to grieve and mourn and wail. So by now, we, or at least I, am just kind of lying there on the cosmic floor, and I'm either grieving, mourning, and wailing, or I'm arguing with God about why this is necessary. So it's just best to keep going on with the passage. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Thank goodness, relief at last, right? 
but this is James, and he doesn't stay there. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Weirdly, this is where it starts to make sense to me and kind of comes together. Here's how I figure it. If we see ourselves clearly by looking into God's perfect law, we will not be quick to slander or judge others, to put ourselves in the position of judge over our brothers or sisters or anyone else as if we were God. That's disobeying the law. God is the judge, not us. If we've seen ourselves clearly, if we have taken a deep dive into our own brokenness and meanness and inner darkness and all of that, I hope that can make us be kinder, more forgiving, forgiving people with bigger hearts. Maybe drawing near to God and letting him purify our hearts will help us be slow to judge others, less, be less likely to speak against them. We live in a time when everyone's speaking against each other. It's a lot of noise and ugliness. Maybe sitting with God and looking intently into his perfect law will give us the freedom to do what he says and let him be God. This passage ends in fine Jamesian fashion. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now you can, and I often do, read this verse in a sort of hammering way with an emphasis on lawmaker and judge and save and destroy. And then I say the last part with a kind of punk edge, and you, who are you to judge your neighbor? But in my more thoughtful moments, I can see the beauty and the freedom here. Because, thank God, I am not the one making these laws. I am not the one doing the real judging. I am not the one who can save and destroy. And clearly, it is not my job to judge my neighbor. James asks, who are you? And my answer is, I'm a child of God, trying to love him and love my neighbor all my neighbors, trying to remember God's perfect law and do what it says, love my neighbor as I love myself. There is great freedom in that, even though it requires looking into the relentless mirror and seeing what's there. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.